Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. When I'm telling a story, oftentimes I have to stop periodically to fill in some past details or information that better explains the story. That's what God is doing in Revelation chapter 7. I call this a parentheses passage because it doesn't necessarily fall in the sequence that we've been seeing in Revelation. Today, we're going to be introduced to two different kinds of people whose focus during the tribulation is on God. But again, it doesn't fall in the same sequence that we've been studying with the seven seals. So this is going to be a little different. Each of these two different groups of people that we're going to talk about, they come from a different place, different purposes, but their ultimate purpose is the same, and that's to glorify God. God is so gracious to continue to provide encouraging scenes like this with all the terrible things that we see in the book of Revelation and the tribulation. Welcome to our ongoing study in the book of Revelation. I'm Debbie Blank. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. It's certainly frustrating to be interrupted in the middle of something you're totally absorbed in, like during a movie. But what if the interruption is really important? Sometimes a knowing friend will lean over and give us information we need so that we can appreciate or understand what's happened or what's coming next. And that's what's going on here in chapter 7 of Revelation. Jesus has finished breaking six of the seven seals of the scroll, initiating the first six judgments. But then he stops, right before opening the seventh seal. And that's when we're shown something that answers one of the most asked questions about the book of Revelation. Can anyone be saved during the tribulation? And that's what we'll uncover today. Oh, yes, and also in chapter 8, too. But here we're going to talk about the two different groups of people, the first one being 144,000 Jews, and the second one being the great multitude. So we need to understand who they are, what their purpose is, and what they're doing. We're going to begin in Revelation chapter 7. It does start by saying, after this. In the book of Revelation, when we see a time phrase like that, after this, it generally is falling in sequence. So it makes us believe perhaps that these 144,000 Jews that we're going to be introduced to do not get sealed with the seal of God until after the first six seals have been opened of the scroll that Jesus Christ is holding in his hand. Or maybe the idea is that just after these seals are beginning to open, we're going to see these 144,000. But before we see them, it says in Revelation 7, 1, After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind should blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Verse 2, And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. As always in the book of Revelation, we're introduced to lots of angels. And here we see four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Now imagine they're holding back the four winds of the earth. That means no wind is moving on the face of the earth. What does that mean? Well, let's go back and consider 
the six seals that have been opened before it. First, you had diplomacy. The second seal, you had war. The third seal, you had famine. The fourth seal, you had the fourth of the world killed from different plagues and famines and sword. In the fifth seal, you had souls under the altar. And then in the sixth seal, you saw all those heavenly things that were going to happen, including a great earthquake that was going to wreak havoc and very possibly cause tsunamis and volcanoes and other things like that. And then you have this that tells us no wind. What do you think the pollution is going to be like at that time? It would just be horrible because the wind blows the pollution away and there is none. And I also think, too, what you've just described is a scene of chaos. Over and over and over again, there's all these various forms of chaos. So you think of the noise and the consternation of the people and what's going on in nature. All of this stuff is chaotic. And then to have quiet, where the winds aren't blowing anymore at all. And you think of how eerie that is when we're in in something where a situation is, there's a storm and then things stop and it's very, very eerie. So is this the calm before the storm? It's one of them. In chapter eight, it's really going to get silent. We'll see that when we get to it. But it could very well be because what we're going to see beginning in chapter eight are horrible plagues to the cosmos that we're familiar with. And here it's the beginning because there is no wind. An idea of a time sequence here, and that is that to the angels, they're supposed to hold back the winds until something happens. And that idea of the time sequence comes in verse three, when it says, don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Why are they going to seal the bondservants? We never really have an answer to that, though it's pretty clear, I think, as to what the reason is. But God wants the bondservants to be sealed before the winds are let go and all the cosmos problems happen in Revelation 8. So let's see who these bondservants are. According to Revelation 7, 4, it says, I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. There's a lot of people. The Jehovah's Witnesses are an example of one who say that the 144,000 are actually those souls who will be saved and go to heaven and that nobody else but those 144,000 will be saved. But let's take the context at what God says. It says there are 144,000 from each tribe of the sons of Israel. Verse five, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulon, 12,000. And from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And finally, the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. We have here the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob that we know make up the 12 tribes of Israel, which tells us specifically, since they're mentioned by name, that we are talking here about the Jews, 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. That makes 144,000 Jews. So these Jews, are they believers? Because we're talking about Israel, we're talking about Jews. And from my reading, too, these are definitely the Jewish tribes. There's some little bit of difference in how they're listed, who's included and who's not included. And sometimes people use that to say, well, this is symbolic. 
But generally, if like you said, you read it, take it at face value. These are Jews, but they're being sealed. They're going to be protected throughout the tribulation. So are they believers? Well, we know they're believers when you read Revelation 14, which we haven't gotten to yet. It talks more about them there. They are in heaven at that time. So we know that they're believers because they're in heaven with God. Here it doesn't tell us, but it does say that they're sealed. Now, what does that mean? We in the New Testament period, when we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, as it tells us in Ephesians 1.13, it means our salvation is guaranteed. Now, that seal is internal because it's the Holy Spirit indwelling with us. Let me read that verse in Ephesians 1.13. It says, In Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view of the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. That's a clear passage that we as believers once we believe in Jesus Christ, our sealed, the Holy Spirit indwells us. That's our sealing is internal. This is external. Why external instead of internal? Perhaps it's so that people can be recognized as a true follower of Jesus Christ. Perhaps that's why Satan seals people with the mark of the beast, 666 in Revelation 13, because he's mimicking God and what God has done with these 144,000. Again, we don't know if these are actual seals that people see, but there's no reason not to believe they are. God has a different paradigm that he is using for the Jews in the tribulation period than he used for the church. So perhaps believers in the tribulation period are sealed externally and people can see it. In the Tim LaHaye Left Behind series, he says that believers then are sealed externally so that they can be recognized by other believers. But it's only a seal that can be recognized by believers. Yeah, we don't know that because the text doesn't say. But the point is, there's a reason for this. These are believers. It does not tell us here what they're going to do, but every indication is they are evangelists. They are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with fellow Jews. Why would they be doing that? Where's the church? Church is gone. Remember, the church was taken up with the rapture. You might remember that it tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, that the restrainer is taken out of the way before all of this is revealed, and the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. So we're gone as the church. Therefore, what you have left on the earth are Jews and unbelievers. And who's the tribulation for? Well, it's about the coming of Jesus Christ, but it's really all for the Jews, for God to draw the Jews to himself. So it looks like in this situation, they're being sealed by God for a purpose in the tribulation. They're going to be protected in some way, shape or form so that they can perform some sort of a service. And I get that from the word bondservant, which also makes me think that these are believers because Paul referred to himself as a bondservant, where it's not someone who is a slave against their will, but someone because of their heart for their master has decided to be sold out to that Lord and Master. So the encouraging thing here, it seems to me, is that we probably do have 144,000 people who are of Jewish origin, Jewish background, who have come to be believers in Jesus Christ. They're saved the same way we're saved. It's just that, like you said, the church is already in heaven. These people are going to be going through the tribulation. 
and they're going to be sharing the gospel with the other Jews. Because who are the Jews more likely to listen to the truth about God than other Jews? Because they have a different belief system than we do, because we believe that Jesus, of course, is the Messiah, their Messiah, who lived and died for us. They don't believe that. So if we as Christians try and talk to the Jews about our faith, there is immediately a closed door because we have a different paradigm with each other. But it's open to other Jews talking about that. We also have to remember that the millennial kingdom is God's promise to the Jews of reigning with them on the earth. That's the kingdom that they expected to happen when Jesus Christ first came. That's the kingdom that they can expect in the future. That means that Jews have to be saved in the tribulation period, and they have to make it through to the millennial kingdom. Let me just share with you a passage from Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16, that kind of talks about that. It says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth. And we know biblically that's Jesus. And he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. And this is the name by which she'll be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Jehovah Sinkinu. We see here that when Christ reigns, he's going to execute justice and that every Jew will be saved. That means that Jews have to make it through the tribulation and they have to believe or at least hear the gospel during that time so they can believe when Jesus comes. This is God's supernatural way of taking these Jewish people and having them sharing the gospel during a time when everyone's going to need hope. Unfortunately, it looks like most of the world is going to turn away from God during this time, but it looks like the Jews are going to turn to him. And it's interesting, the passage that you just read is one of many that come from the Hebrew scriptures that the Jews can share with one another. It doesn't come from the New Testament. So that's one way that they can really appeal to other Jews. I'm glad you said that, because if we ever want to talk to a Jewish friend about who Jesus is, we need to go to the Old Testament, to their book and share the prophecies about the Messiah. Because while we know that Jesus fulfilled them in the New Testament, we also know that they're prophesied in the Old Testament. And that's how we speak to the Jewish people. Also, we need to consider that in Revelation 12, verses 6 and 14, God talks there about how he's going to supernaturally protect the Jews during the tribulation period so that they will have the opportunity to be saved. You remember that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, God says that it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of repentance. So he opens every door for us through his grace to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's no surprise that he's going to do the same thing for his chosen people. There's a number of them that are sealed to be protected. It doesn't mean that they'll all make it completely through the tribulation. I'm assuming some will be martyred, but maybe not. Maybe they're protected through the whole thing. I know in Revelation 9, 4, it says something about them being protected from the locusts. So we know that he's protecting with that seal. It's a guarantee and a protection. Now, there's something interesting about these 144,000. I said that they were from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob. But the fact is, there's one missing, and the person missing is Dan. Instead of Dan, Manasseh is listed. Manasseh is one of Joseph's two sons. Joseph's mentioned here, 
So his son really shouldn't be mentioned, but he is in replacing Dan. Why is Dan not in here? There's a lot of different belief systems on that. First of all, in Leviticus 24, 11, it talks about how Dan is specifically guilty of idolatry. The tribe of Dan is. Also in Judges chapter 18, debauchery played into their lifestyle at that time. The biggest argument for why Dan isn't in this listing of the 144,000 is from 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. When the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms after Solomon was king, his son Rehoboam was the king of the southern kingdom. And then a man named Jeroboam became the king of the northern kingdom. He was jealous. He thought that his people in the northern kingdom would go to Jerusalem to worship God and then stay there. So he built two altars, one in Dan in the northern part of the country and another in Bethel, which was the southern part of his territory. That way people would go to those two altars and worship God instead of going to Jerusalem. He also appointed priests who weren't Levites. He also developed holy days that weren't holy days biblically because he wanted his own kingdom with his own places to worship. And Dan was one of them. When we think of Israel, we think of visiting Israel from Dan to Beersheba, from the north to the south, because Dan was the furthest northern city and territory in Israel. But it wasn't originally that way. They were given territory to the west of Jerusalem, which today is Tel Aviv, but they didn't like it. So they moved their territory unequivocally up to the northern part of the kingdom. So there's several things that Dan did wrong, perhaps more so than the other tribes, which could be the reason why he's not listed here. And it doesn't mean that people from that tribe won't be evangelized during that point in time. So it's just that they aren't being trusted to be the evangelists. And Dan will show up later in the millennial kingdom. So he's not totally negated. Let's take a look now at the second group of people in Revelation 7, starting in verse 9. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude. Perhaps after these people were sealed, John's in heaven and he's seeing this multitude, but this multitude is going to come out of the great tribulation. So it has to almost be a parentheses passage because the great tribulation has a long time to go still in the book of Revelation. He says, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all the tribes and the peoples and the tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches, which were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. How great this is going to be with all these people worshiping God in heaven. You recall that we saw in chapters four and five scenes in heaven where the angels and the elders and the four living creatures were worshiping God in chapter four. And in chapter five, Jesus was found worthy to open the seals on the scroll and they worshiped him too. Chapter six was a difficult passage because we got into the tribulation, but now we're seeing a group of people worshiping God in heaven again. How exciting that is to me, because God is not just saying, okay, here comes the tribulation, all the bad stuff that's going to happen. He reminds us of what life is like in heaven. Verse nine, where it talks about they're clothed in white robes and they have palm branches in their hands. And what that makes me think of, and maybe a lot of our listeners is Palm Sunday, when Jesus was greeted with the palms. What does it mean here? 
Having palm branches is a sign of victory. It's a sign of respect and honor to an incoming king. But they're also used at the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is the last Jewish feast, according to Leviticus 23. That's towards the end of the year, towards October generally. That is a time when the people rejoice. They celebrate because the harvest has come in. So they're giving thanks for this harvest that God has given. So it makes sense here that palm branches in their hand, they're the harvest. These people who are up in heaven, the great multitude worshiping God are the great harvest that has come in from the tribulation. And it's not a sad thing for them. It's a time of rejoicing. These people who are in heaven in their white robes, which are the righteous acts of the saints, that's going to be victory for them. It's not going to be sorrow. It's not going to be sadness. They're not going to know or see, I don't believe what's going on here on earth or they would be sad. So they're going to be victorious from the tribulation period. And they know that they're in the presence of Jesus. That's why with these white robes and with these palm branches, they cry out in worship to Jesus. When you look at how they worship to God, it's very simple. Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're praising God for their salvation through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And did you notice who this great multitude is? They are from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. That tells us that these are Gentiles. These are not Jews. The Jews are mentioned before of the 144,000 they're going to proselytize. But when you have a great multitude who come from every nation, that's not just Jews, that's Gentiles. And all tribes, well, it could be all tribes of people. And then it says, and peoples, which are different kinds of peoples and nationalities, and tongues, so they speak in different languages. Now, there are many people who will say that these are Jews and that these are Jews that God is taking out of every nation. And God is taking them because they were all the 12 tribes of Israel. And God is taking them out of all the peoples and the tongues of the earth. And that these are Jews because only Jews will be saved. Well, I don't agree with that philosophy. Because this particular phrase is mentioned seven times in the book of Revelation in kind of different ways. But basically every tribe and tongue and people and nation is what it's talking about. In Revelation 5, 9, it says they were purchased for God with your blood. In Revelation 10, John is told he must prophesy again concerning these people. So he's speaking about these people and what's going to happen to them. And we know that the tribulation is about the nations turning away from God and the Jews turning to God. This is a key in Revelation 11, 9. It says these peoples and tribes and tongues and nations are going to look on the dead bodies of the two witnesses and they're going to celebrate that they're dead. Well, the Jews aren't going to be celebrating that. Only Gentiles are who want to turn away from God or who don't believe in God. We see in Revelation 13, 7, that authority over the tribes and tongues and people and nations was given to the Antichrist. He had authority over the whole earth. We finally see in Revelation 14, 6, that the eternal gospel is going to be preached to specifically every nation and tribe and tongue and people. If it was to the Jews, we'd just have the 144,000 preaching to them, or God would say that the gospel was being preached to the Jews. But here it says every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And then finally in Revelation 17, 15, another key one, it says the waters which you saw where the harlot sits, and this is the spiritual harlot, 
are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Well, that's not the Jews. That's the pagans of the Gentiles down through the ages. So I believe from this passage, it's showing that the Gentiles are going to be saved during the tribulation as well as the Jews. And that just so goes along with God's character because he's unwilling that any should perish. And so he's always reaching out to those who might turn their hearts toward him. And so it looks like in this passage, it's a really inclusive passage. It does not say Jews specifically. We've gone from the Jews in the previous passage to this other multitude. So it seems like it's an inclusive everybody else kind of a thing. Well, this passage goes on to say in Revelation seven eleven, not only do the great multitude worshiping, but all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they all together fell on their faces before the throne and worship God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So then one of the elders answered and said to John, these who are clothed in white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? By the way, the white robes are the righteous acts of the saints, according to Revelation 19, that we also talked about in the fifth seal. So John responded and said, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. These are people who've died during the tribulation period. It doesn't say they're martyred. It just says they died so very well. It could have been from all the disasters that are going to take place. And probably these are from the whole time of the tribulation, from the beginning and to the end of the tribulation, which is why we believe this is a parentheses passage, kind of a informational passage in the middle of this discussion. Revelation seven fifteen goes on to say, for this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve him night and day in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore, neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat for the lamb is in the center of the throne. He shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to springs of water of life. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. That gives us our first real glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. And oh, how exciting that is. It also gives us a glimpse of what these people have lived through during the tribulation. They've been thirsty. They've been hungry. The heat is beating down on them like never before. They're going through struggles during the tribulation period. But now they are before the throne of God rejoicing. How exciting that's going to be. So before we get into the horrors of the tribulation period any further than we have, we see these two great groups of people, Jewish evangelists and then people who've died. Most people are afraid to die, but this gives us such a great glimpse of heaven. If we had a personal experience to go there, we would never want to come back. Throughout Revelation, we see two types of people, those who follow Christ and those who don't. This passage is talking about those who follow Christ. How can those who experience the horrors and the plagues that we've seen and we're going to see not turn to God? Because their foolish hearts are darkened. They've made themselves their own God rather than surrendering to Jesus. But those who follow Jesus have a different purpose. They obey God. They worship him. They follow him. They surrender their lives to his glory. And yes, they're going to go through some painful times here on earth, but God's going to walk them through it and provide them a much better place Remember what 1 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, For momentary light affliction is producing for you an eternal weight of glory far beyond any comparison 
Why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So let's choose to follow Christ and experience the things that are not yet seen, but we know we're there because God's word says they are. Turn to Jesus today before it's too late. When we read the part of Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.